welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Tonight, together, we're going to settle around the verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The mercy and the merciful. I wonder if you've ever been in that position where you find yourself completely dependent on someone else to get you out of a spot. Have you ever been there? Uh, Even the most uh, sort of resourceful among us, the most in control, we would have experienced those times where we suddenly realized we're at the complete mercy of someone else's willingness to help us, right? Even uh, practically, if you've you've ever had your, your battery go flat in your car, isn't it always raining? Or, or at least, you know, you're in a hurry, you haven't taken dad's advice about renewing your AA, and you're at the mercy of someone coming to help you out. Or, or there's that devastating moment, isn't there, that I think uh, probably we each experience at least once in our lifetime where we are truly desperate. And it's, it's never in our own home, it's often at a function, at a party, where there's that microsecond, that, we, that, that nightmare moment when we discover there is no toilet paper in the bathroom to finish what we started. <laughs> Have you ever, anyone with me? Oh, come on. No one. We, we, we pray with faith at that moment, don't we? If you would just have mercy on me, I will do anything for you, Jesus. You know, help me. And in that moment, we're completely at the mercy of someone coming, preferably a friend, discreetly to come and relieve us from our suffering and to help us out. Tonight, the text uh, would tell us to always take your phone with you wherever you go. Perhaps a little bit more serious for you. Maybe you've uh, found that you have been the cause of a fractured friendship. Or maybe you have caused some pain in a relationship and you are suddenly at the mercy of someone's forgiveness, in need of their response. An incredibly humbling position to be in, right? Let's look together tonight at what kind of mercy attracts God's blessing and what might it look like to embody a mercy and to be a beatitude kind of people. Um, If you've missed any of the series so far, what's been really helpful for us is to to getting at the heart of this word blessed is to appropriately use the word in sync. So synchronized. So it would be in sync with the kingdom of God are the poor in spirit. Or in sync with the kingdom of God are the merciful. Not to be uh, sort of, yeah, in sync. Not, not, Not to be forgotten with 90s pop band. In sync. Oh yeah, it's good, it's good. So, I don't know how much of a blessing they were to the earth, but I'm a JT fan, senorita, all the way. If the merciful are the in sync with the kingdom of God, what kind of mercy does Jesus mean here? So, come with us. Alios is, is the root word of mercy, and it is two basic ideas. Compassion for those that are afflicted and the desire to relieve their affliction. 
So simply said, you could say compassion plus action is mercy. So when Jesus says, blessed are those that are merciful, he has in mind compassion for those that are afflicted, accompanied with action to relieve that suffering. You might say the the evidence of the kingdom of God breaking open in one's life is when someone is not more and more just compassionate, but when someone is more and more moved to act on their compassion. I'd also like to just to throw in the mix for your consideration just one more definition that we'll kind of use as our launching pad tonight. It is this. Mercy is extending kindness to the helpless and pardon to the guilty. So mercy is extending kindness to the helpless and pardon to the guilty. So Ephesians, Sas, come and join me. She has got a better reading voice, so she's gonna hang out with me for a couple of moments. I think it would be criminal to um, begin on mercy without going to, I guess, the genesis of mercy where God pardons us and our sin. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. Okay, so Paul begins this section by reminding us that every single one of us were in the same boat. We were all dead to sin guilty and deserving whatever sentence this just judge needed to give. When you're dead, you're helpless. <laughs> when you were dead, you were dead. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Great, thank you. So God, immense in his mercy, made us alive, even though we deserved something else by our disobedience. Isn't that great news? Far from God, in the suffocating mess of our own choices, crushed beneath a horrible debt, what did God do? Canceled that debt through his mercy, through Jesus. And the great news which we've been discovering the Beatitudes is, is is that not only did God have compassion for us, seeing our condition, our affliction as a sinful people, but he moved into action to relieve our suffering. Mercy embodied. Um, William Barclay, who's been quoted a number of times in the series, he drills down on this idea of, of mercy and he says, mercy must include this, getting into someone's skin. So, Seeing what one would see, feeling what they feel, thinking what they feel. So we, we, we see that, that mercy is, is far more than just sympathy, right? And, and sort of like a feeling for someone else. It's actually the ability to get up into someone's world, into their skin to see what they see like, to feel what they feel like, to, to think what they think. So there's this, this great progression here, right, that I was kind of hinting at. I'm kind of excited about it anyway because I know my own notes, but oh my goodness. There's this progression of good news. We see God in his mercy, but then we see him come in mercy through Jesus, moving into our neighborhood. 
we, we, we call this the incarnation. So another verse, come with me, Hebrews 2, verse 16. Thanks, Darcy. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, in order to make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thanks. Amazing. Jesus literally came and got in our skin, leaving the, the beauty, the richness of heaven, that, that kind of mind-blowing relationship that the Trinity would have been. He left and moved and came down to think like we think, to experience what it was to feel like we feel, seeing us in our suffering and our affliction. He empathizes with us and then he moves into action. Not with just what's left over, but what was most precious to him, Jesus. Have, have you noticed that it's actually fairly easy to have compassion? Really, the only requirement is to have a pulse. <laughs> Here, here's, here's what I mean. is Literally, compassion is defined as having a concern for others' suffering. See, the risk here is that though compassion can create a sense of empathy in us, it may never in any way activate real mercy. Which, which makes me think that if it was just compassion, God could have had compassion on our condition from a distance, right? Seen our, seen our suffering, done his analysis from a distance, and, and maybe if he was gonna um, be like our generation, Maybe he would see our condition, feel sorry for us, and then tweet about it. You, you know, like post a really moving status about the brokenness of humanity, hope that his angels and his friends would comment, and then he would feel justified in feeling and done something about our condition. Because that's action, right? Just joking. <laughs> Jesus came in mercy understanding our condition and moving in to relieve our suffering, experiencing the, the complex dynamics of relationships. He, he experienced laughter and longing and, and being let down and being heartbroken. He models mercy being beyond a sentiment and moving into one skin. It's good news, right? Yes, that is good news. Amen. I was reflecting this week, and um, I was pretty excited. I kind of did that in my journal. I was like, this is awesome. But, but I was trying to think, I was like, God, in my head, in my journaling, I was like, what is, is there more motive behind this mercy? I know it's about reconciliation. I know that there was a price to pay. Is there more motive behind mercy? Um, and, and at its most basic level, I want to suggest tonight that, that mercy, from God's point of view, I think it's about intimacy. I think the motive of mercy for God is intimacy. Because if you're anything like me, we, I want the results of God's merciful acts. Yeah? We, we want him to hear us, relieve us from our suffering, help us in our, in our situation. Anyone else? And, and, and what does Jesus do? Time and time again, he comes and he meets us at the point of our need, doesn't he? And grace, and he comes and meets us here. But, but as you would know, our Jesus wants to be more than just a genie in the bottle. 
Yes, he's willing to grant us mercy, but my belief is not just the results of mercy he wants to give us, he wants us to collide and connect with the person of mercy, him. Māori, they have hungi, their traditional welcome, where they share breath, where there's a safe place where they come close and personal. And I wonder if it's the same with the prophetic. Uh, most of us would probably, you know, we, we want God, show us a bit of a picture of the future. Show, show us a bit of the plan. Tony Saxon says brilliantly, he says, we want the information and God wants the intimacy. He's happy to give us the information, happy to grant us mercy. I wonder if his motive, though, is intimacy. The other part of, of maybe the motive behind mercy for me as I was reflecting this week is, is I wondered if, why was God so immense and gracious in his mercy toward us? I wonder if there was so much mercy because mercy was never meant to stop in cul-de-sac in our own lives. Let me find my place. I think it's um, totally fine to have that personal one-on-one thing going with Jesus. You know, God, let's just talk about, you know, you loving me and me loving you and you blessing me and me blessing you. See, that's okay. I want to suggest tonight that as soon as you begin a conversation with God about love and forgiveness, he will move you and I into a conversation about love and forgiving others. I um, wonder if mercy is a little bit like past the parcel. Anyone play past the parcel when they're little? Anyone still playing it as adults? <laughs> I'll leave that for you to enjoy. Um, Pass the parcels, this beautiful game where it comes around and when the music stops, you get a little treat, right? Then you continue to pass it on so others can enjoy the treasure of the game. I wonder if the, the motive of mercy for the Father is intimacy. But I wonder if the motive for us, recipients of, of mercy, is meant to be to image God, to imitate God and pass it on. So we, um, we, we, we briefly spoke when Sass read the scriptures about the part where, where mercy is pardoning the guilty, right? And, and the second part of that line was I'd love to just look at briefly is where mercy is extending kindness to the helpless. So let's read. Luke, thanks, Sass. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Great, thanks. So the story of... Um the Good Samaritan. If you've been around kind of church life for a, a while, you, you, you'll know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Or, or at least you would have bumped into hospitals, the Good Samaritan charities, because the, the point is, is that we, we, we need to help those in need, right? Well, kind of, but, but kind of not. 
I wonder just for a few moments, if we look at this text, maybe, maybe we can see that it's a little bit more than just knowing as believers that from time to time, we need to give a bit of Christian roadside assistance when we come across need. Let's have a look. So first we have an expert in religious law that asks Jesus a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? probably really good to note here that the, the, the expert doesn't really want to know. If we look back at the progression of, of his role, he already has an opinion. His role in the community would be to discuss and debate Torah at length, hours in a day. So, so whatever Jesus says to this man, the expert, he was going to have a response. So Jesus, he responds correctly like a Jewish rabbi. And, 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 he, and he asks, what does the Torah teach? Be, because predictably, the, the vibrancy of life, the fullness and richness of life was said to be from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus says to this, have you got this? He says to the expert, well, what does the Torah teach? What does the law teach? I, I love that Jesus asks questions and tells parables. Anyone else? Do you know, 183 times in the Gospels, someone comes to Jesus and asks him a direct question. Do you know how many times Jesus answers them directly? Three times. The rest of the time, he leads with probing, provocative at times questions. Or he tells a story, a parable. And then most of the time, those parables aren't about correct believing, it's about how people act, about how they act out their beliefs. I digress. So here we are. The expert of the law answers by quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus about how loving God and loving your neighbor are the most important things you can do, and this is how you enter eternal life. And what does Jesus say? Kind of like, cool, you're right. You'll inherit eternal life. Conversation over, right? You, you can almost see Jesus turning to wander off, but there's more to this, isn't there? The text goes on to say, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This guy had an agenda all along. It seems to be a setup. It's like the expert saying, Jesus, we can do Torah all day. We both know it's about loving God and loving your neighbor, but Jesus, you and I don't agree on who our neighbor is. So Jesus launches into one of those parables. A certain man was walking from Jericho to Jerusalem when he was beaten and left by the side of the road. So we have a priest that comes along and sees the man and goes to the opposite side of the road. We see then a Levite that comes along, along and, and does the same thing. Pretty bad guys, right? But just before we kind of like give them a bad rap as, rap as the epitome of human scum, um, any story that tells them in that light kind of misses the point. I'll show you why. A beaten man on the side of the road would probably be bleeding, right? 
And according to Torah, if you have contact with, that, with someone else's blood, then you're considered at that moment ceremonially unclean. So especially for a priest and a Levite, those that if you wanted to serve your people, be true to your God, participate in your community, you needed to remain ceremonially, un, uh, ceremonially clean. Good so far? So, so think about this. These men come along and see this half-dead dude in a ditch and have a decision to make. Do they help this one man and then risk being ceremonially unclean and not being able to serve for a period of time? It's a risky choice, and from this pr premise, perhaps in their minds, this man wasn't really their responsibility, or at least not their priority, right? So let's just look at the scene for a second, because I, I think even unconsciously in stories, we, we write ourselves into stories, don't we? we? We try and do this. Most of the time, we are Cinderella, not the ugly sisters. Have you found that? We're, most of the time, we are the brave soldier David and not his brothers hiding behind the troop lines when Goliath comes out, but, but we read ourselves into stories. So in this story, if we zoomed in, I wonder if it does hint at something, though, of what it might be to be the merciful, for us to be a beatitude people. And it would be simply this. To be the merciful, maybe it will challenge our usual routines, our preferred practices along the path. Maybe being the merciful, we might need to widen our range to include people that we used to assume were not our responsibility at all. Jesus comes back to the story. The third guy comes along and it's only logical to everyone that'll be another expert in the law, another fellow Israelite that would have helped this wounded man. And that would have been a great little end to the story because Jesus would have been able to nicely say to the expert of the law, loving your neighbor, being merciful is just helping those in need along your path. That would have been nice right there, which is how often the story is told. Here's the thing. Come with me for one second. Jews generally divide themselves into three categories, though. Priests, which according to tradition, are descendants from Moses' brother Aaron. Then we have Levites, descendants from Levi, Jacob's son. And then everyone else would be Israelites. So Jews divide into priests, Levites, and Israelites. So in good storytelling fashion, Jesus says, right, the priest, he came along, gapped it. The Levite came along, Gapped it. So the logical progression would be Israelite would have been the hero of the story. For the heroes, this would have been sequential. For instance, let's try this. This is not a trick, okay? I know I'm really tricky. Uh, this is not a trick. So just shout out the logical response here. Uh, fill in the blank. Father, son, and... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, kids game, kids game. No. Uh, duck, duck. Right, so everyone was expecting a logical answer, but what came out of Jesus' mouth was something completely unexpected, something a little bit shocking to what we would have all expected. 
the good Samaritan. Wow, that was tighter than I thought. (laughs) Here's the thing. Jesus was provocative and shocking for a reason. Something unexpected launched into our story, and this is why. It's not, the Samaritan wasn't just the, 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 the oppressed minority that he wanted to teach us to have a little bit more grace for. This was the half-breed enemy of the Jew. They were the kind of Taliban, the pedophiles, the puppy killers of our day. Here's the thing, whatever, enra- whatever brings up rage for you, a, a bit of anger for you, this was the Samaritan to the Jew. So this, you imagine the expert of the law, this was impossible for him to hear. He didn't even have a category for good Samaritan. Are you feeling it? The Samaritan comes along, verse 33, has compassion in the man in the ditch, begins to pour oil on his wounds, nine different verbs, comes and he bandages his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. You imagine him walking slowly through the night to an inn. Puts him up and then cares for him during the night. And not only was his sympathy given then or his time, then he offers the manager money, right? And says, I'll pay more if you need it when I return. Dallas Willard rightly says this, which I think we need to be clear about. The story does not teach us that we can have eternal life just by loving our neighbor. Our position and our posture before God counts here. And I wanna throw out a question. Consider the story, those that are listening. Who is more in sync with the kingdom of God in this story? There were a lot of religious hearers and even characters in that story. Who was more in sync with the kingdom? Let's zoom a little closer. Did you notice in the story, the Samaritan did not know why the man was in need? Notice that. He launched into kindness without knowing. See, we assume that this man was an innocent victim. Maybe he was. Don't throw stuff. Maybe he wasn't. See, see, I, wouldn't, I would not put it past Jesus, the masterful teacher, be, to be schooling us here on, on many different levels. Perhaps this man was up to no good. The company he kept he was into illegal transactions, and he got the beat down for not bringing his part of the deal, perhaps. Even if it's not, here's the point. The good Samaritan did not know why the man was suffering. I want us to consider tonight that mercy extends kindness to the need regardless of how the need eventuated. I bring this up because have you ever found in your own heart the temptation to withhold your love, to withhold your resources or your kindness when you find out a little bit more information about someone in need? Perhaps you find out that the person in need caused the whole blimmin' mess. I bring it up because I know the temptation in my own heart is, well, then I will do a summary on this. 
I don't want to be a Christian that misses it, that thinks the lecture comes first and then the command of mercy is an option. Or at least it's, it's circumstantial. Do you hear me? Here's some balance tonight before you numchuck me out the door. Mercy does not mean ignoring the gravity of sin. It doesn't. The cross showed us that sin mattered a whole lot. How many know that sin ruins relationships? Absolutely causes pain and destroys futures? Mercy doesn't mean what you're doing is okay. The cross showed us that. I just want us tonight to grapple with that tension. That as the merciful, we are the ones to extend kindness to the helpless and pardon to the guilty. Compassion plus action. Jesus unfinishes the story with, with a question, doesn't he? He says to the expert this, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Which is brilliant. This whole conversation started from this expert, the one that would have felt very godly, coming to Jesus with a loaded question just because he wanted to justify his actions about who he got to be a neighbor to. It's brilliant. Jesus says to him, who? was the neighbor. Notice in the text, the Samaritan can't even say the word. Sorry, sorry, the expert can't even say the word Samaritan because the hatred ran so deep. Have you noticed that words create a sense of intimacy? Names, sorry, create a sense of intimacy. What did he, what did he answer? He said, the one that showed mercy. So, so our, our neighbors are those that are in need, yep. But Jesus makes it unescapably clear that our neighbors include our enemies. Our enemies. Perhaps if we went to the extent of this truth, are we called to get into the skin, to get into the world, even of our enemies? A pastoral note. There are some people we need to avoid and have boundaries with. There are some people that have been so toxic in your life, so damaging in your life, that you need to keep your distance from. That, that's just all part of being a healthy person, isn't it? But still the call is to forgive them, isn't it? To release them and not let bitterness eat away their own life. So who is our neighbor? I just want a list. Like, give me a list. I just, let's go. We'll just do the prayer and go. Give me a list. Who is my neighbor? I just want to kind of wind up tonight by just, let's reframe the question because it might be healthier and more effective. What about we ask, what kind of neighbor will we be? Because perhaps it's less about defining a class of people who will be the objects of our love Maybe this is the question that the Beatitudes runs through right through the series. Where we regularly ask Jesus, 
how do I stay connected to you in such a way? How do I abide in you in such a way, Jesus, that mercy becomes the natural overflow of my life to whoever you bring on my path? That's all I know how to do. Will we be the merciful? I went to a, a wedding in January, and um, to my brother's wedding in Nelson, and uh, such a cool wedding, a privilege. And my wife Kelly and the kids, we got down there a day early, and we went to the wedding rehearsal. And we all know the wedding rehearsal was for the wedding party to know where, what to say and where to stand. Um, but more truthfully, how many know that wedding rehearsals are really for the bridesmaids and the bride to practice executing the walk-in flawlessly, right? I'm standing outside of this beautiful church, and I'm actually with Hope Jones, she's there too, and the bridesmaids, if you can picture this, they, they walk outside onto these grand steps, and they're about to practice going in on their song. And, and they take a while. Rightfully so, they are excited about life. The, their best friend is about to embark on, 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 well, marrying one of my brothers would be epic. <laughs> Joking. Wow. They, they, they are excited about the future. They're chatty. They've got a role in this future. Can you see it? Here's the thing. We notice just three feet away on the bottom step, there was this, this young woman, maybe early to mid-20s, with her head in her hand, sobbing uncontrollably. Two days before her partner had taken his own life, she had come to this church to find somebody, anybody, that would ask the man upstairs, she called him, why? And why are you silent now? Um, Hope went and sort of intervened and, and one of the ladies came out, which is great, from the church, a staff member, sat with her, hugged her and committed to journeying with this lady. Here's the thing though. One set of steps, two completely different stories going on, right? And I wondered if that registers as a bit of an indication of the seasons of life we will go through. Hopefully we're all more on the top of the steps and life's good and we've got hope and it's, it's good. But how many know that on the bottom step we all go through it and we suffer and we're asking for God's compassion or someone's compassion, right? But, but I thought this afternoon the greater kind of revelation for me was awareness. When we're on the top step, when life is good and we're full of faith, someone really, really close, two steps down, are suffering. Awareness. And I think the merciful are ones with an awareness. So a little bit different tonight, I just asked the lambs to um, just bring a song as we reflect on this beatitude. And truly, I'd love, I'd love you to reflect, what is it to be the merciful? And it's a song called Say Something. And, and in it, there's, it's almost like this promise, this lament of one 
saying, I would go anywhere for you, right? Teasy, lovely love song. Mercy went all the way and got in our skin. Here's the thing though. Mercy goes further than that and then enrolls us. Mercy enlists you and I, doesn't he? To be the merciful for a world that sits on the bottom of the step. As we reflect, God, help me be aware of your mercy and my responsibility. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.